Hello, in this week's show, drought in Afghanistan to add to farmers' woes and how the UN is helping. Strong words from Antonio Guterres about Omicron travel bans and the connectivity gap that's widening. COVID-19 is in the frame. What else? Stay with us too for closing comments from regular guest Solange Berhategui-Cortez. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. Thanks for listening. First, the news with Katie Dartford. This is the news in brief from the United Nations. Transport bans on countries that said they had detected the COVID-19 Omicron variant is travel apartheid, which should be condemned, UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres has said. Reacting to travel bans that have been put in place since South Africa told the world that it had sequenced the new coronavirus mutation, Mr Guterres insisted that the people of Africa cannot be blamed for the immorally low level of vaccinations available to them, nor should they be collectively punished for identifying and sharing crucial science and health information with the world. Here he is at a press conference in New York on Wednesday. With a virus that is truly borderless, Travel restrictions that isolate any one country or region are not only deeply unfair and punitive, they are ineffective. We have the instruments to have safe travel. Let's use those instruments to avoid this kind of, uh, allow me to say, travel apartheid. In Africa, measures have been stepped up to detect and control the spread of Omicron as the World Health Organization said that the number of COVID-19 infections on the continent rose by 54% last week. More than 270 million people worldwide will need emergency aid and protection in 2022, a 17% increase from this year, UN humanitarians have announced. The amount of people in need is equivalent to the world's fourth most populous country, said UN Emergency Relief Chief Martin Griffiths. He said that $41 billion is required to provide relief and protection to 183 million people most in need in 63 countries. Humanitarian aid can work. It has its own place. It doesn't replace development assistance. It doesn't replace the funding of the society and the economy, which host governments do every day all over the world. It's an extra. It's important. It's an addition. It's a lifesaver. Humanitarians have also warned that the COVID-19 pandemic will not be resolved unless tens of millions of people living in conflict zones and other hard-to-reach areas are vaccinated. The International Committee of the Red Cross said that only a small sliver of vaccines has so far reached conflict zones, where entire communities often lack basic healthcare services. It's estimated that more than 100 million people now live in areas under full or fluid control of non-state armed groups, often leaving communities beyond the reach of official short vaccination campaigns. Global consensus has been reached to pursue a UN-led accord to prevent future pandemics, the World Health Organization, WHO, said on Wednesday. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, WHO Director General, hailed the decision taken by the World Health Organization for better pandemic prevention, preparedness and response. Here's Tedros now on the potential dangers of the Omicron variant. Omicron's very emergence is another reminder that although many of us might think we're done with COVID-19, it's not done with us. We're living through a cycle of panic and neglect. Hard-won gains could vanish in an instant. Our most immediate task, therefore, is to end this pandemic. 2.9 billion people have never used the internet and 96% live in developing countries. 
According to the International Telecommunication Union, the estimated number of people who have gone online this year actually rose to 4.9 billion, partially because of a COVID connectivity boost. This is good news for global development, but ITU said that people's ability to connect remains profoundly unequal, and many hundreds of millions might only go online infrequently, using shared devices or facing connection speeds that hamper their internet use. Here's ITU's Doreen Bogdan-Martin. Only a third of the population in Africa is using the internet. In Europe, the share is almost 90%, which is a gap between those two regions of almost 60 percentage points. Internet access is often unaffordable in poorer nations, and almost three quarters of people have never been online in the 46 least developed countries. The headlines there, and now to our interview, which takes us to Afghanistan, where it's cold, but there's virtually no snow, a sign of the continuing drought, says Richard Trenchard from the UN Food and Agricultural Organization, FAO. It's really bad for agriculture, which relies on snowmelt at the start of the season, he tells me. But there's also a desperate need for seed, livestock and cash to help rural communities who've borrowed all that they can, and now they're starting to go in search of work in the big cities. If livelihood support is not provided now, then the prospect for the country's people is terrifying. Here's Richard now. I mean, sadly, the situation has got a lot, lot worse. So the situation is now appalling. And what's really, really concerning is we're heading towards catastrophe. What we had at the start of the year was a really acute drought. This was the the worst drought we've had for 35, 36 years here. Really acute drought. So it was having a massive impact. And a lot of the food insecurity, the hunger we were seeing earlier this year was really linked to the drought. In the last two, three months, the situation though has transformed just dramatically and for the worse. What we're now seeing is a is a national crisis. 18.8, that's 19 million people. Almost 50% of the population is now acutely food insecure. That's to say, experiencing hunger on a daily basis. What's tipped this drought crisis into something far worse is the economic implosion of no one's got any cash. And thirdly, and it's really important to remember that a lot of the longer term international development assistance, which had underpinned so many basic services, health, education, agriculture, a lot of that has been suspended and those services are simply stopped at a time when they're really needed. And also, and this is why what we're seeing is that what was largely a rural crisis has become a national crisis affecting rural and urban areas alike. So there's been massive unemployment because of the business environment, the liquidity, but also because so many jobs that were linked to those services have either been suspended as well, or there's no salaries being provided. And this is why, unfortunately, Daniel, the situation is, is not looking at all positive. It's getting far, far worse. The projections are just, are just, are just terrifying. By the end of the year, it's projected that almost 23 million people, that's 55% of the population, are going to be acutely food insecure. It's a terrifying situation. So to help to provide at least some solutions, the FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, has set up the Winter Wheat Campaign. Maybe you could tell me about it and how it's helping rural communities. Okay, wheat, which here is planted in the autumn, is the backbone of rural livelihoods across the country in so many areas. What you've had until very recently is a really large government program funded or supported through an enormous World Bank program called EATS. And this was giving, on subsidised terms, a large number of farmers wheat. That has totally collapsed now. It's suspended. So at the moment, because also small farmers, vulnerable farmers particularly, have got no cash. They've got no cash. And also because we had a drought. And remember, a lot of farmers use part of their harvest to collect seeds to plant the next season. 
The harvest because of the drought was 30, 40% down. In some areas, in rainfed areas, it was 80, 90% down. So there's no seeds in their, in their seed stores. There's no cash in their pockets. And the seed distribution they were depending on for the last few years has just disappeared. So what we've been doing, we always distribute some certified weed seeds. These are really high quality, good seeds. We always distribute some to the most vulnerable groups. What we've had to do now in the last two, three months is massively upscale that. In this country, just to give you a sense of the numbers, 20,000 tons or so of certified seeds are produced. We normally procure, we distribute about 2,000, 3,000 tons. This year we procured 9, 10,000 tons. And that's to reach about one and a half million people because at the moment there's no plan B for these farmers. You talked about cash and the lack of it, and I know that other agencies have found ways to provide liquidity and keep salaries going for, what, health workers, for example. What does the FAO, what does the Food and Agriculture Organisation try to do to help, you know, smooth the difficult machinery of, of not having any cash? OK, excellent question, because if you're, a, if you're a rural household, if you're a farming household or you're a family which, which, which relies upon livestock as well, there's three things you need. One is food on your table or, or food available. The second one is cash in your pocket to buy food and, and other vital expenditures. But let's remember, in a country like Afghanistan, 60, 70 percent, and now it's even higher, of cash goes on food. And the third thing you know, you need to know if you're a farmer, is you've got seeds in the ground or you've got your livestock being healthy. The problem, as I said now, there's just no cash around. One, there's no jobs. And let's remember also COVID has hit Afghanistan really hard, not so much as a health crisis, but as an economic crisis, because remittances the thousands and thousands of Afghanistanis living around, you know, living in neighboring countries and further away, they were sending money back every month to cities, but also to rural areas. That money just, like in so many other parts of the world, just dried up. Even if you've got things to sell, people can't buy it. There's no cash around. So what we do, and many others do as well, is you find ways of providing cash to households, particularly the poorest, particularly those who've got no other sources of income. So rather than just giving straight cash, we use that as an opportunity for people to um, rehabilitate really vital productive infrastructure, farm infrastructure, irrigation, not the big systems, but much more the field level, etc. So we do that. And also with the most vulnerable groups, for example, female-headed households or those who don't have any available labour or been affected by disabilities, etc. We also give cash. We're trying to ramp that up throughout the year because of the drought, we've been ramping it up. It's difficult at the moment just because of the liquidity crisis uh, and the like, but it's still a key part, not the major part. At the moment, what farmers need, first and foremost, what farmers can support them with are seeds, fertilizers, etc. But also the cash component is there, as well as the livestock feed. Animals at the moment, the pastures this year across Afghanistan are totally arid. There's just no grass because you had this, this really acute, severe drought. So what we've been doing also, as well as seeds, is throughout the year providing livestock feed to just concentrate. We were talking to farmers, we've been talking a lot to farmers, sorry, Daniel, in the last month or two. And the two things they say they really need, as well as food, is seeds, but also livestock feed. Because at the moment, their stores are bare. There's no food, there's no seeds, and there's no livestock feed as well. I've got, like the other partners, I've got an incredible team here who have not stopped working literally one day this year, particularly in the last two or three months. There's been a race against the clock just to get seeds out, to get the animal feed out. And what they're seeing... It's things they've never seen before. I was just talking this morning to people working in the Western region, and they say once you get 50, 80, 100 kilometers outside the town, you go to communities where every single compound, there's just nothing there at the moment. It's a really, this is why we're so worried. It's why we're looking, as well as looking at today, we're looking forward as well. And the, it's really hard to see a plan B at the moment, except a massive upscaling of humanitarian assistance in the coming weeks and months. 
My thanks to Richard Trenchard. We'll try to keep communication lines open between Geneva and Kabul, where he and his team are based. It's a looming catastrophe, as he said. Now let me turn to our regular guest, Solange Behetege-Cortez, for her thoughts on Afghanistan's plight. Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. We just heard from Richard Trenchard that Afghanistan is facing a catastrophic scenario. In rural areas, the situation is going from bad to worse with no food to put on the table, no cash in people's pockets, and no seed to sow, what is the future for Afghanistan? If there's no spring harvest, we all know really what will happen. The Spanish poet Miguel Hernández grew up in poverty. He was arrested in 1939, trying to flee Spain under Franco after the civil war. In el hambre, which means the hunger, written while in prison, Miguel Hernández said that hunger is the first thing you learn. And in his poem, Nanas de la Cebolla, he said, En la cuna del hambre mi niño estaba, con sangre de cebolla se me amantaba. In English, this means, In the cradle of hunger lay my son, with the blood of the onion he was suckled. Afghanistan is hungry and in jail, just like Hernández was, and then, like the hunger described by Hernández, this is not an exercise of style. It is not a figurative hunger. It is having an empty stomach. People flee their homes to survive. But as Richard Trenchard told us, no farmer wants to leave their land. But when you have no food, you have no grain from the previous harvest, there are no seeds in the fields, and your livestock are gone, you have no choice. I say it again. What is the future for Afghanistan? People need food, cash, and seeds to sow a free future. Unless we act now together, we may find, in the words of Bertolt Brecht, that in Afghanistan, war is like love. It always finds a way. Thank you, Solange. And the latest from OCHA, which is the Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, is that uh, they've delivered winterization assistance to more than 32,000 people in Kuna, Nangarhar and Nuristan provinces. And humanitarian partners are also responding with further aid. We have run out of time again, Solange. Thank you so much for your comments. Thank you to all those involved in our podcast here in Geneva and New York. And of course, you two listeners. We'll be back next week with an interview with child trafficking survivor Swamir's Pirano Guzman, who's from Honduras. He's also the member of the UN Voluntary Trust Fund on Contemporary Forms of Slavery. For the latest headlines, of course, stories and interviews, just check out UN News. That's it. Bye-bye for now. Ciao Daniel, hasta la próxima. Thank you.